Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I'm here with, with Brett Jones, the man, the myth. He's got a little bit of a scratchy voice today, but we're only going to make him talk half the time because most of the time we can't get him to stop talking. So we should be good with that for today. But Brett, how are you today, bud? How are you holding up? It's my COVID voice. It's his COVID I, voice. Uh, I have COVID, um, but fortunately, the virtual options still work. And me at 85% is better than most people's hundreds. So uh, let's let's do this. Absolutely. So we're going to dive right in. So this is part two of our discussion about the getup. And uh, at first, we, we really talked about sort of the origin of the getup, where it has come from. And, and now we're walking through each step of the getup and giving you some nuances and some tips on how you can improve upon that. So we're going to dive right in. We are uh, at the point where we, we've talked about the setup, talked about safety. We've gotten you in that supine position where you start. We've talked about the roll to elbow, upward up to the post, and now we're at the tall sit position. And from here, we're going to work on the next transition and then moving through the rest of the getup. But let's, uh, let's go back a little bit um, and talk quickly about the tall sit quickly because, well, we want to make sure that uh, people didn't miss anything. So a couple things with, with the tall sit is I think one of the things people always focus on is the, the arm that is overhead, the arm that is holding the kettlebell and they get concerned about the weight, but again, they do neglect what is going on with that bottom, that, with that bottom arm. So they have a good positioning of the scap, good extension of the thoracic spine, um, good optimal positioning for that individual of their glenohumeral joint, et cetera. So from there, we're going to work on that transition. So Brett, one of the things that, that I think people get goofed up on, on the tall sit is, um, the difference between getting a good position where you can, you know, talk about stability of the shoulder on the down arm. We talk about packing. I know we've gotten away from the term packing because people think packing is this idea of just, you know, letting the shoulder sit in one position and not letting it move. But, um, when it comes to the tall sit, what are some of the issues that you start to see in the getup and, and some of maybe the, the sticking points for individuals? So as you're transitioning to the hand with different torso lengths, um, arm length, uh, you know, people have a different uh, humerus length versus forearm length uh, that can necessitate some small adjustments of where you end up with that hand. Uh, in relation to the body. Biggest mistake is people kind of literally sit up and then lift and replace that hand and place it too far behind them. And then that's going to pinch you and create issues when you go to sweep the leg. It makes it harder to pack the shoulder. You know, it, it results in a few different problems. So the biggest thing to avoid is almost like opposite ends of the spectrum. People will have this perspective of, I can't move the hand at all. 
and then people will sit up and literally lift and replace the hand and put it too far behind them. So as you are transitioning from the elbow to the hand, just make sure that you kind of wrote externally rotate that shoulder, point the fingers behind you, squish the bug. And then if you need to sneak the arm in an inch, sneak the arm in an inch, it should be pretty subtle adjustments. Um, you know, one of a, a new member of Strong First uh, HQ, uh, Brian Robinson, is a he's a really uh, just tall guy. He's like six nine, and so his get up looks a little different than my five nine. <laughs> it's going to look very different. It, it's going to look very different. Those leverages and those positions are just different. Um, and then like people that have that big wingspan, they're going to be adjusting that hand a little bit. If you have a short arm relation to your torso, you're going to be sneaking that hand in a little bit as you go from the elbow to the hand. So just make those adjustments. And we want to see that position where you externally rotate that shoulder, squeeze the tricep against the lat and depress that scapula zone. So you really create that active shoulder so that as we go into the next movement, you've really created a, a, a joint that is ready to take that load. Um, and so that uh, is the biggest thing that I see. And then the other thing, which I think we talked about a little bit on the last podcast, is that when you don't externally rotate or you, you don't get that position and you start dumping that shoulder forward and you get that pointy shoulder, uh, we would definitely want to avoid that. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think one thing that you you mentioned is, you know, your getup is going to look very, very different than an individual that's a foot taller than you. And, and just like when you're training people, if you're training a basketball player, that's six, nine, and then, uh, maybe, you know, obviously they're probably like a center or a forward. Right. And if you're training a point guard, that's five, nine, their squats going to look different. So guess what? Their getup's probably going to look different as well. And that's why it's important to, to, to understand movement and, and how mechanics play a huge role. And, and I always talk about anthropometry. It's one of my favorite topics, but the study of limb lengths and how limb lengths are going to affect people's shape and postures because far too many people miss that. So um, you'll probably notice that if you do work with individuals with much longer arms, when they get to that tall sit position, that arm, which is extended and externally rotated back behind them is going to be not at as much as a vertical angle. We may not even see as much as a vertical torso because in order to get that arm in a good position to get stable, they're going to have to reach a little bit further away from their body simply because of the fact they've got longer arms. So it's it's not going to always look the same. So don't try to force feed it. And there's one other tip that, um, that I've given to most of my clients that needed it and it worked quite well is um, I found that when it comes to teaching shoulder packing, um, using an exercise, I call it a reverse plank. It's, it's basically in a bridge position where you're sitting up, both arms are externally rotated, both shoulders are down and back, and you can drive your palm into the ground and really extend and bridge from there. And when you bridge in that bilateral fashion, you get a pretty good idea of what both shoulders should feel like. And then once you get acclimated to that, that load where your shoulders really feel like they can take it, then you can start to, you know, work on, shoulder packing on one side, because I found that when it comes to teaching that, um, a lot of people understand the idea and the feel of shoulder packing using two arms to start with before going into a single arm. That's just something that I've found that has helped me. It's kind of like if you're teaching a squat, right? If most people, 
are going to do a, a better job with the goblet squat than with a single leg squat to start off with. It's just easier. So I found teaching a little bit of bilateral shoulder packing first really sets a tone of what they're supposed to feel. And it gives them that idea of driving into the ground and being super solid with that. And once they feel super solid, then they can, you know, shift around and find a, a good position on left or right arm, depending on what side of the getup that they're doing and move on from there. So just a little tip when you're teaching, I found that the majority of my clients, when we do get to the true tall sit and they have to start, you know, getting their body acclimated to a load, I found that that's super helpful. I love it. And I've, I've seen that progression from you. And I think that, uh, you know, anytime you can pull, pull a piece out, establish a better position and integrate it back into the the main exercise is obviously a, a great strategy. And uh, I think it sets a good stage for the low sweep, uh, which is where we're going next within the getup. Now, before I say that, there are a variety of people who could stop listening now and have everything they need from the getup for the rest of their life. Um, they, you know, sometimes it's uh, a big toe that has a pin in it. Sometimes it's a shoulder that's really struggling with the overhead position, uh, a knee that doesn't like lunges, uh, or somebody with a knee replacement who can no longer kneel on their knee. Um, I'm still doing get-ups with all of those people. I'm just doing it to the tall sit and back down. Um, now I may throw in some presses. I may throw in some uh, multiple reps where we're doing two or three uh, in a row on each side. Uh, but those strategies, that first part of the getup where we get to the tall sit, there's so much money there. There's so much return on investment. Now, outside of those situations, yes, everybody should continue to doing a full getup. Um, so the low sweep is the next thing that we need to kind of nail. And it starts with establishing, and the reason we went back and talked about that shoulder position from the tall sit is that is the first and critical component to being able to perform that low sweep well. Now, as you lift the hips and sweep that leg, we want to think of kind of opening that garden gate and swinging that knee so that once you place that knee from the hand to the knee through the shin to the toes, you've got a straight line. Um, of that leg that you swept up on the bent leg that was on the that foot on the ground that is one of your solid bases of support and one of the biggest mistakes we see there that foot slips and slides as you perform that low sweep so establish the position of that foot wedge between the heel of the hand and the heel of the foot and that those stable points allow you to perform this lift of the hips, sweep of the leg to get into this half kneeling windmill position, which is where we'll stop for right now. <laughs> I was going to say, don't keep going. There's so much to talk about. Actually, that's such a great point because um, <clears throat> here's the scoop. The the body really does thrive on working on and, and that's reciprocal based movement. And like Brett explained, let's say you're doing a right sided get up in this case, you know, the right hand is is up above head, right? And then your left arm is on the ground. Your left arm and your right leg, those are the two, you know, opposite limbs that are basically providing the base of stability so you can elevate and then sweep the leg through. So those two positions have to be really, really strong. And I think, um, you know, 
a lot of people from right to left and left to right will start to feel a significant difference in their overall stability and mobility when they get to this position because they're like, wow, it feels really good on the right side or it doesn't feel so good on the left. So just going up to bridge those hips up enough to sweep the leg through. And we're not talking about a high bridge. We, we're going to get there, but there is a bridge regardless if you are uh, low sweeping or doing a high bridge. It's just a very, very small bridge in order to clear the hips. Um, I have seen some other variations where people do a very, very methodical, they curl the leg in and they kind of slide underneath. Um, that is an option, but we're not going to be, we're not going to be talking about that. But I would say when you are in the tall sit going into that low sweep, this is from a coordination standpoint. And from a mobility standpoint, I would argue that this particular movement is the movement that gets people a little bit sticky. And I would say a lot of it has to do with, with hip mobility, right? Global hip mobility, being able to open up to that relatively open 90 degree angle and land in a position that is somewhat optimal. So we are keeping the spine relatively neutral as we go through that transition, because um, as someone that has had some low back injuries in the past, I've noticed that when I go through that transition, and my back is a little fussy, that's the time where I have to really pay attention to my hips. I really have to focus on having, for me, optimal hip mobility. So when I do move, the movement is not sort of bleeding over into my low back. And then I start to get, you know, unnecessary rotation or unnecessary extension on that low sweep. And that's where I find I usually get stuck. And it's also a position too, from a shoulder mobility standpoint is, you're essentially holding that kettlebell overhead and then your body is moving underneath it. And there's a coordinated effort of hip mobility, shoulder stability, and shoulder mobility that have to happen there. So I find for a lot of people getting to that low sweep and landing where they're supposed to be landing, it's, I mean, it'd be so much easier with the visual here, but um, <laughs> that is the sticking point that I see for a lot of people. Do you see the same thing, Brett? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other so we'll separate out an upper body and a lower body conversation here. Because um, mm -hmm. when we talk about the upper body in the tall sit position, you have been in a near vertical overhead position, near, not complete, vertical overhead position. Now, as we perform the low sweep, we return to a horizontal position at the shoulder. So we have this transition happening from near vertical and then I end up in this T position where I've got the vertical, the kettlebell and the arm holding the kettlebell are going to stay vertical in relation to the ground or bad things happen, uh, i.e. they fall. So as you're transitioning from the tall sit near vertical overhead position with the kettlebell, you end up in this T position where now you're horizontal with the bell. Um that sets us up for a really cool transition when we get from the half kneeling windmill to tall kneeling, where we go back to the vertical position and we have this super cool transition of the scapula uh, into upward rotation, which uh, it, it, which is where it comes to so the shoulder packing stuff causes us some problems because now we're not letting the shoulder move and rotate, stuff like that. So that's the upper body conversation of the, the arm holding the bell. In the lower body, um, you have to, you create this solid column with the down arm as you're performing this transition from near overhead to horizontal with the kettlebell arm, and you're swinging the hips through into this position. Now you mentioned bending the, the down leg, um, in the tall sit, 
preparing for the low sweep by bending that straight leg so that you can sweep it as one piece. Cool. That works just fine. If you, if you're comfortable keeping it straight and sweeping it back, um, the big mistake people make initially in their getup when they try to perform the low sweep is they want to go right into the lunge position. They skip. So in, yeah, they skip this kind of 90 degree. Um, you've got the up leg pointed one direction. Well, the knees, the down knee that you just swept is pointed the other direction. You're making a 90 degree angle. Um, <clears throat> but people want to sweep that shin through so that they end up in their lunge already. Don't worry about that. And sometimes giving people the ability to bend that leg, sweep it as a unit to set it down in line with the down hand so that you create that kind of 90 degree angle between the two legs. Um, you know, now you've got a really good position to work with. So it seems like this kind of, it's one of these transition points. And, you know, one of the secrets in something like yoga, yes, it's the held postures, but it's the transitions between the postures that builds a lot of strength, stability and, and movement skill. And the getup is no different. So kind of really two pretty big conversations to have there between what's happening in the upper body and what's happening in the lower body in the low sweep. Absolutely. <clears throat> You're right. And, and people want to skip that step. And, and that is where I feel like people, if they're going to get a tweak in their low back, usually it's there. That's when I see people like, ah, oh, that felt a little funky. And it's because they, they skip that step of there's a, what I always tell people, there's a hidden hinge in the getup, right? And, and that hinge is simply, it's this open kneeling hinge and we're, we're going to get there, you know, for the rest of the getup. But as we sort of go through these transitions, there's this beautiful sort of open kneeling hinge, which allows you to, to really find the floor with your hand, both up and down, depending on what part of the getup we're talking about, same thing, but whether you're going to the standing or returning down, but there's this beautiful just subtle hinge that once you feel it, it's very comfortable. It's very, uh, it, it just feels, it just feels really good. And most people don't have an issue in that position. Once they understand that, Hey, in order to really find that position and find that load, they have to sit into their hips. And it's a, cause people think hip hinge, they think swing or deadlift. They don't think hinge in an open kneeling position or gosh, I mean, there's hinges kind of everywhere. If you look at athletic based movement, cause it's a power, it's such a powerful movement, but that hidden hinge is, is, optimal for not only stacking uh, the implement over the rest of the body, but safely transitioning into the lunge position. And then we, you know, move on, change the positions, get into the 90, 90, and then in getting into the standing position and, and then moving on. But um, I think one of the big things that I see here is as we go through, again, we go to that low sweep. It's that is where you need to, to take the time to know where things should sort of land and how to get those mechanics, like Brett was saying, try to get that straight line from the ankle to the knee to, to the hand and to that open uh, 90 degree angle. That is something that a lot of people have a tough time doing because uh, they want to rush the process because they're so concerned about getting that kettlebell overhead. They should have spent a bunch of time doing, you know, naked getups with, without a weight. Come on. We, we, there's a, there's always a joke there, but that's why we bring the shoe out or the yoga block. So you can learn to nail those transitions without a weight over your head. So when you do introduce the load, you already know where you're supposed to land. You're just paying attention to the bell at that point. Absolutely. It's uh rehearse, rehearse. Um, um, it, what's the old saying? Amateurs practice until they get it right. 
uh, professionals practice till they can't get it wrong. Sounds like a good um, one to me. Yeah, it, it's either a saying or I made it up. Uh, I think it's a pretty, saying, but we're going to go sure with the fact that you, you made it up too. We'll, we'll give you a little no, extra credit on that one. Don't do that. Don't don't give me credit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Make sure there should, by the time you add load to your getup, there is zero mystery as to where you should be in the getup. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, again, it just it's just practice, guys. It's a skill. And, um, when I have been teaching people getups, I tell them like, guys, this is, it's a skill it's at, you will eventually get a training effect, but at first it's just skill acquisition, right? If you're learning to play guitar, you're not going to play a song right away. Like you're just going to learn the basic, you know, these are strings and these are notes and eventually it'll turn into music. Right? So it's the same thing with, with getups. It's just, it's just layering skills and Literally, the getup is talk about layering a skill on top of a skill. I mean, every single component of the getup and, and doing an optimal getup is dictated by the movement that you did before the movement that you're at, because everything sets up the next thing. So that's something that, again, take your time. Um, I've got a few videos on the on the Strong First Instagram page about all these different components of the getup. You can definitely check out as well. But regardless, there's a bunch of transition stuff that that here's the cool thing. Let me backtrack a little bit, you know, between the stuff that Brett's done and, and, and with Pavel and gray and, and some of the stuff that a lot of the other strong first instructors have done. The cool thing is we're going to get all these little tips down the road. And we have all of this, these great minds to teach us through these transitions. So, I mean, you know, I encourage you guys too to just go look at what some of the masters and the seniors and the team leaders are putting out in the strong first community. Cause you're going to get some invaluable tips, but Regardless, let's talk about the half kneel position, um, because as we make that transition, now we're essentially in, in an overhead lunge position. And let's talk about where the implement should sit in the overhead position, because I think people don't truly understand that because of the offset load, the when the arm is completely overhead, it may not always be perfectly vertical like a flagpole because of the offset load, especially when you have a very, very heavy kettlebell, that kettlebell needs to be balanced over the pelvis so your structure supports the load. And I think one of the biggest uh, issues people have is they try to go so far back and they try to get so, so vertical with, with their arm overhead, the kettlebell's pulling them backwards and it becomes a loaded stretch be, be instead of like a stacked sort of solid position. There's a difference. And I think, you know, you may have even put a video out on this, Brett, but you know, the offset load is when you go overhead, that's the magical part of it. Can you talk about that a little bit, Brett? I will, but first I'm going to go back and catch that transition from that open half kneeling windmill to the half kneeling position. Um, gotcha. So we're in that horizontal T and then the secret hip hinge. Yeah, that's the hinge, you're right. Where you're going to sit back into those hips a little bit and transition the body up into that vertical half kneeling position. Now we're still in our 90-90 position. I've still got the down shin pointed uh, perpendicular to the up leg. Uh, and I've, I'm still in that, that the lower body position hasn't changed all that much yet. But I've been able to hip hinge to bring the center mass of the bell over my center of mass a little bit and then push my hips and body up underneath that belt coming to the vertical position of half kneeling open half kneeling and now we have two choices to get ready for our lunge and a fully establish the the half kneeling position 
We can windshield wiper the rear shin so that now we're on railroad tracks and the front leg is up and the rear leg is, is spun behind us and we're on railroad tracks ready to do our lunge up. Or we leave the down shin, the down leg where it is, and we step the front leg over to create our lunge position. I'm a stepper. And I have to tell the story because several years ago, Jason Marshall sent an email and said, hey, what do you think about this as a transition for the getup? And I read it and I'm really not good at reading. And I read it and I said, no, it's an awful idea. Why would you do that? And, blah, 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 blah. and then like two years later, we were at the same place and he showed me and I was like, that's brilliant. Like uh, people that are post-surgical that have knee problems that work out on a rough surface where you can really lose some skin doing that windshield wiper move, stepping the front leg is brilliant. And so I started doing it and I I don't do my get-ups any other way. Um, it's so much more comfortable for me than windshield wipering the the back leg. And there's a video on YouTube and, and the, the, the strong first, um, channels that where I cover that, I, I did an article on it. Um, so there's, there's an article on the, <laughs> the strong first website. Yeah, yeah. I've got a few on there. Um, so now we're in that half kneeling position and Again, there's that super cool transition where we went from the horizontal position to the vertical position. The scapula had to upward rotate and create this position where the head of the humerus can sit in the glenoid and really stabilize the shoulder in the bell. Now, the offset center of mass. Up to a certain weight, the, that offset center of mass is going to guide your shoulder back into a more vertical position and allow you to achieve a better overhead position. For me, that's upwards of the 32 kilo. Um, the upwards of the 32 kilo, I can get vertical with my arm. That offset center of mass brings me back into a really nice position. And somewhere around the 36 to 40, the center of mass has gotten so far displaced from my, uh, from my center of mass to where vertical is no longer vertical. It is an inch or two forward so that the center of mass of that bell sits through my shoulder, sits through my pelvis, sits through my knee, and is held by the ground. The question I ask everybody when I teach the getup is what's holding the bell? And it sounds like a stupid question. And I love stupid questions because everybody's like, oh, the hand. Um, yes, the hand is holding <laughs> the bell. But what you're doing is aligning your structure so the ground is holding the bell. And at that kickover point where the center of mass has gotten large enough, pardon me, at that kickover point where the center of mass has gotten large enough, the arm's no longer vertical, but the center of mass of the bell is aligned through the shoulder, through the structure, so the ground holds the bell. So that is why he is in charge and gets paid the big bucks. And <laughs> yeah, so he just articulated that way better than I, I did. And I just skipped some steps. And honestly, like we're doing, we're, we don't put the videos up, but I'm over here like in my head, like doing a get up, <laughs> trying to make sure that the steps are like in the right order. And I'm like, how the hell can I articulate this? And I'm like, I thought we already, anyways. So there's a reason why Brett's just better at this crap than I am. I'm just going to give, even with the COVID, with the vid, he's, he's <laughs> brains, uh, you know, definitely functioning higher than mine. So thank you for that. Um, I'm just going to leave that there because, uh, you did a much better job than I could have. So yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. 
but he just beat me to it. Anywho. So now we're ready to lunge up. Yeah, now we're just going to do a lunge, and then you're done. Just repeat everything <laughs> back down. We'll see you next week. No, um, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the lunge. So, as Brett mentioned, as that kettlebell gets bigger, like we're not talking about competition bells, where competition bells are identical in size, different in load. We're talking about normal sort of cast iron kettlebells, where the the heavier the bell, the bigger the bell. So there is that sweet spot in which. You are no longer going to be perfectly vertical. It's going to be pitched an inch or two forward, like Brett said. And, and I found that to be true as well. Um, and that's important to, to note, especially as you get to a heavier load for you. Um, but as we get into the overhead lunge position, um, <clears throat> this is where I think a lot of people lose their midsection. Um, maybe when they take that lunge position or in that they're in that half kneeling position, if they overstride too much, you can't get optimal power. And if you close that stride down in that sort of lunge position, you can't get optimal power either. So what I like to do is, is cue approximately like a 90, 90 position where, um, you know, the front, uh, the front hip is at 90 degrees and the front, uh, the front knee is at 90 and on the backside kind of similar mechanics. And if you look at that sort of from a side view, you should see a collection of, of essentially right angles in the lower extremity. And then you can go from there. Um, at this point, when we are going up, I think one of the things people forget about is um, tension. And, and, you know, sometimes when you transition from the half kneeling or the lunge position to standing, you got to zip up. So don't forget about, you know, creating a little bit of tension, maybe re, re, uh, it, retaking your breath, sniffing in a little bit of air, a little bit of a, a breath hold to go to that transition. So you get overhead because that is something that, man, that transition it's when it's heavy, it's a tough one. Absolutely. So let's talk about uh, just a couple of things there, modifications or uh, allowances for someone who's having trouble doing that overhead lunge. Um, first and foremost, if you lose the overhead position, in transitioning from half kneeling to standing in your getup, um, don't. <laughs> I was waiting. I had my coffee in my mouth. I was spitted out. You're like, don't. And that was it. Don't. I was like, what's he going to say? He didn't say anything. He just said, don't do that. Sorry. Brilliant. That's gold. <laughs> Those Ovaltine jokes, Jerry, they're gold. Um, bring it to the rack. If you know you're going to lose that overhead position in the transition from the half kneeling to standing, bring it to the rack and do your lunge in the rack position. And then on the way down, you're going to step back and then you'll press the bell once you're in half kneeling and finish your getup. So now you've identified something that you definitely need to address so that you don't have to do that in your getup. But instead of risking dropping the bell or having it fall out of position and trying to rescue it and tweaking your shoulder. Uh, if you've identified that as an issue, bring it to the rack and do a rack lunge and just don't risk it. Okay. Now, uh, and I have a, I have a client right now that uh, some big toe issues, which have gotten much better but the lunge is challenging, not because of the overhead position, but because they got a big toe issue. And when they try to tuck that rear toe and push off of it, it's not the most comfortable thing in the world. And so we pull the bell of the rack. We do our lunge up, do our lunge back, and then press and finish the get up. So just keep in mind that that is a very valid 
Uh, also, if you work out at home and you got low ceilings and you can't have your arm overhead when you're standing up into your getup, bring it to the rack and then press in half kneeling. Um, so that's one of the biggest issues. Now, if you know it's not a, a big toe issue of the rear leg and it is an actual overhead stability issue, um, well, now you have some options. You could do some presses in half kneeling to build stability in that overhead position. Uh, do presses in half kneeling, hovering that rear knee an inch Icy. off the ground. That's Spicy. A, That'll zip you up. That's shiny for, for all of my fire, firefly fans, fans out there. It's shiny. Um, so we'll, we'll get some, we'll get some comments on that. Um, <laughs> do, do half kneeling pull downs and learn what it's like to, to, to be stable and, and build that uh, scapular position in, in that position. Um, do some lunges and the, there's a breathing, um, little hit here. We teach this a lot in the goblet squat, kettlebell front squat using the grunt. Well, Sometimes what you need to do is actually pull that front foot in. So you're just inside of that 90 degree angle, bias that front ankle just a little bit, get your grunt so that you organize for that drive up to that front leg. Uh, sometimes people lose that overhead position because they're actually pitching too far forward mm -hmm. as they're trying to lunge up. They're literally lunging. Um, you can treat it more like a split squat where you squeeze yourself up in between the two legs and then step the rear foot forward. Um, so that's my brain dump on um, the lunge. The lunge, the lunge up, um, the Turkish lunge up. Um, a couple of <laughs> things that we're going to, we're going to talk about from that position. Um, as someone who has uh, played some sports that damaged their big toes, soccer and now jujitsu, my, uh, my extension on my toes are not great. Um, it hurts pretty much all the time. Um, I, I prefer to do my getups and with, with shoes on and, uh, you know, just basic pair, uh, pair of flat shoes. So when I do do those transitions, I'm not, I am going into that big toe grade extension, but the, the, the shoe is, is moving into that position as well. So I'm not exactly loading the joint as much, but for me, it's just so much more comfortable than going barefoot. But again, I have some, some old, uh, you know, I've had turf toe several times on both feet. And then you go to jujitsu where your feet get rolled up. It's just, uh, it's one of those things. So, um, you know, just throw on a pair of shoes. If, if you find that barefoot is, is not doing it for you. Um, that's okay. Um, Listen, we have the basic guidelines on the getup, but if you need to do certain things that will enable you to get through the transitions and feel better, do that because the, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the getup police aren't going to show up and, and be like, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. No one cares. Um, now, if you know, if you're taking a, a certification and you're coming to strong first, we have standards and, and there's things that we want to see, but that's why we also discuss medical issues beforehand, because we're not going to be like, Hey, you failed that. And you're like, Oh, by the way, my toe doesn't move. And that's the reason why I couldn't do this or that. But we do have standards for, you know, for the certification, but at the same time, those standards are there for a reason for safety purposes and for teaching purposes. But um, we can't forget about the individual. And that's one of the things that we talk about at certifications is listen, if you have a lower extremity issue, that is a bad idea for you to do this, um, there, there's ways that we can continue to build those skills. And it may not look exactly like you think, but that's just part of real world working with clients and with coaches. Um, another little tip here. And, uh, 
it's sort of in the same vein, but it's sort of not. The half kneel position, split squat position, the lunge position, whatever you want to call it. Some people, they're rock solid. There are other people, they are not. And um, one of the little tips that I like to give people is on their front leg. If you have a little bit of um, femoral and tibial rotation, internal rotation on that front leg, and I'm talking three to five degrees, just a little bit for a lot of people that will give you a little bit more stability to stand up in the position. Okay. Because that slight internal rotation, just, it allows sort of for a lot of people to, to get into a better, I don't want to say centrated position because I can't stand that word, but, um, a little bit more of a stable position for people to drive and, and create force through. If you look at how Michael Jordan would, would step and decelerate to take a jump shot or just cross someone, cross someone over when he steps, it's in a split stance position, but he's slightly internally rotated at his hip and slightly internally rotated at his tibia. Now, Michael Jordan is not probably thinking, Hey, I'm doing this from a biomechanical standpoint, he's just as always done that. But there's a difference between a slight tibial and femoral internal ro hip rotation and valgus. And that's something to discuss, especially when we're dealing in half kneel position, because um, if you don't know the difference, you could be telling someone that something is potentially unsafe when that's not the case at all. It's just, you don't understand what the difference between internal rotation and valgus collapses. And, and that could be a whole nother, um, a whole nother talk if you will. But here's, here's the, the bottom line. If you're working with someone, they're in the half kneel, they're having a tough time, have them toe in three to five degrees, same thing, a little bit at the hip, see how it feels. Don't do it with a heavy kettlebell overhead. Try it with a body weight split squat or lunge first to see how they respond. And I'm pretty sure we're going to get a good, uh, nice little ben benefit out of it. I think some people already do this naturally and they probably never knew why they were doing it. They just always did it. And then, then they look down and like, oh yeah, I do have that slight little, uh, sort of internally rotated hip and, and tibia position, which makes the step that much more solid in my opinion. Uh, definitely. So two things to key on, um, one, um, there is, I'm going to say something heretical there is the option of not tucking the rear foot but keeping that foot plantar flexed and pushing on the top of the foot but if you're going to do that now we have to significantly bias the front leg mm -hmm. and you got to have some good ankle mobility because now we're doing almost kind of an assisted airborne <laughs> lunge uh in order to really use that front leg and use the rear leg as a kickstand, a little bit of a help. Um, but that for people that have a surgically fused toe, that have gout, that have a chronic big toe condition, and they're just not, they're never going to get into the lunge. Okay, well, let's bias the front leg, make sure they have the ankle mobility first. Um, and let's push down on the, the, the top surface of the foot, plantar flexed, uh, and really bias that front leg. It's an option. I've had a lot of people do it and it works out just fine. Same thing on the way down. They're going to be very uh, vertical. They're not going to be having a lot of back and forward transition, but they're going to kind of do an, an airborne lunge down, get that rear foot plantar flexed on the ground and use it as an assist to bring them to the ground, touching the deck very softly. So there's my heretical part. The next part is head and eye position. Once you transition from the half kneeling windmill to half kneeling, the gaze goes from being focused on the kettlebell to being focused straight ahead. 
and you're going to keep the gaze focused straight ahead during the lunge. The reason we don't want to look up is extension at the eyes and neck facilitates extension through the rest of the spine. And if I'm transitioning from the ground to overhead, uh, a standing position, and I have that offset center of mass, let's say I'm doing a decently heavy uh, getup where the offset center of mass has become something that I need to adjust for. Um, if you're looking up and that puts you into extension, that can put you in at risk of going into spine uh, lumbar extension um, during the lunge and in that standing position, which we want to avoid. Absolutely. Don't you talk about postural reflexes with me, Brett? Don't you dare. I, di I didn't mention that word. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just like to use big words. So it sounds like I'm smart. Um, all right. We're going to go back to that lunch thing because a few more things popped in my head. Um, <laughs> sorry. I just, we're, we're going down this crazy rabbit hole. So you were, you, you know, you talked about plantar flexing on that back, back leg. So we can get to the standing position. When that happens, one thing is when you do, if you, that is an option in which you decide to pursue, you're going to have to plantar flex, but you are also going to have to also slightly internally rotate at the foot. So when you're driving, you're not towing out and that's going to put a lot of unnecessary stress on the knee. So when you are plantar flexing, the toe should not be pointing outward, it should be pointing inward. So you can have a little bit of a, a position to drive from. With that being said, the overall shape of, of the individual and what that's going to look like is going to change slightly. Now, if someone has, again, good hip mobility, great, good, great toe extension, we're going to kind of have that nice collection of right ankles, right angles, not ankles. We'll talk about ankles in a second, but that's when you can kind of get away with that because now you have the front foot and you have the rear foot that are again, just doing, you know, doing their job to get you vertical. What's going to happen though, is if you decide to use the, the variation, when you are going into plantar flexion on the back leg, we're probably going to have a little bit more of that forward shin angle, um, because of the ankle mobility, because like Brett said, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's weight biasing different, right? You're probably going to have more like 60 to 70% of your load on maybe even higher, uh, you know, maybe 80, 85, 90% of your load on that front leg versus the rear leg. Um, but it's going to look a little different. So the shin angle is going to change and the torso angle might change a little bit. It may change a little bit. It's not going to look the same. So don't try to make it look the same or it won't work. Um, if, uh, you know, that got me thinking about some of the, um, some of the research on rear foot of a elevated split squats and Mike Boyle put this out and they say it's about a 75, 25 sort of uh, weight distribution on the, on the front leg, 75 on the front leg, 25 on the rear. But I think in this case, um, I think you're, you know, I think it's a little bit higher. It's probably like 85 or 90%. Um, and it's not a single leg squat or an airborne lunge. If you could do that, that'd be pretty damn impressive. Um, don't send us videos <laughs> of you trying to do an airborne. Trust me, I've tried it and I've done it. I'm going to tell you right now, I have done it, but it was a bad idea. Um, someone's going to be like, I have this idea for a get up and I'm going to try to do it with a, you know, a 24. I'm going to tell you right now, it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do if you try to do it. Why? Because I've done it and I've made the mistake of trying it. And I won't do that again because it just didn't work out for me. Just but had just had to find out. Well, listen, I, <laughs> you can tell me to not touch the stove, but dude, I'm going to, I'm going to touch it and burn myself and then go, yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah, so don't send us videos of all these crazy getups. I'm probably, if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm one of the people who put out a, a get up variation out there, which I thought was cool. And now people are just, they're just make, 
making up get i did like a somersault get up for jujitsu one day i was like one guy's like that seems cool it's like no 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 that was a joke like don't do that so we love creativity but there's a fine line between creativity and stupidity just don't cross that line um ask me how i know because uh yeah i'm uh i'm creatively stupid so anywho we stand up we're overhead we've got this kettlebell in this wonderful position now we got to repeat the process and go back down because we're half, we, we've spent about an hour and 30 minutes on half of the getup, but on the, uh, on the return down, I don't want to say it's easier, but it's, it's usually a little bit, a little bit more just, you, you can, you can go through it a little bit quicker because of the transitions. But I would say the first thing we need to do is make sure that when you stand up tall, you are stacked. You're not excessively in this arch back position. Um, and then we need to return back down. And that is another whole part of it. And I would say one of the biggest mistakes I've seen on the return back is when they go into that overhead reverse lunge is they don't take a long enough stride backwards and they cut it short. And yep. then everything else gets crowded with their lower extremities. And then when they try to go through and reverse all those postures and those transitions we went through, we just don't have enough room for the legs to move. 100%. And this is where the stepping of the front leg really succeeds because even if you do short that step back, which you shouldn't, but if you do, now stepping open with that front leg allows you to fix uh, anything that may not have gone perfectly in your reverse lunge. Uh, so that saves a lot of get-ups as far as I'm concerned. Um, now, as once you've made that step and you've stepped that front leg open and now you're reaching for the ground, the position we want to recreate is that position of having the hand, the knee and the shin be in a, in a line and we have to recreate our hinge. So we're going to sit into the hips enough to facilitate reaching for the ground. And then we're going to place the hand a spine length away from the knee so that there's enough distance to perform the reverse of the low sweep and sit our butt back on the ground. Um, and again, there's videos on this and you can get your visuals. Uh, I had a client uh, years ago, give me a great analogy for the getup that the getup is like frames of a comic strip and every step gets its frame in the comic strip. And if I walk into the room and I see you at one of those positions, I don't know whether you're going up or coming down until you make the next move. That's how precise the way up and the way down should be. If I can walk into the room and very easily see you're falling back down to the ground, you're not the frames of the comic strip. You have, you've, you're, you're out of position. So, um, yeah, once you've made the, the big reverse lunge, step open get that hand down on the ground in the right position, uh, spine length away, you know, reverse the low sweep. Uh, you've got the heel of the hand and the heel of the up leg. The line between those two is where your butt goes. And then you're back to the tall sit. Recreate that packed shoulder position. Now we're back in that externally rotated position. The fingers are pointed behind you or some degree behind you. You're pushing that ground away. You've recreated that stable shoulder position for the reverse of that low sweep. You're back in the tall sit. Biggest mistake there, 
people slide through. They take the hip way too far through and they sit like they're sliding into home base. Uh, and it's just unnecessary. Why do I feel like this is going to turn into a webinar? <laughs> I feel like this is just going to turn into something else. But um, there's one thing that uh, I want to reiterate because it was it was absolute gold. When you get into that open <coughs> kneeling position and you're on your well, you're in the you're in the lunge position, and you know whether you open step or or um, you know rotate the knee. Regardless, your hand finds the floor via a hinge, not falling to the floor you actively pull yourself down, just like you would pull yourself down into a, a deadlift with a kettlebell. You're going to actively pull yourself into that hinge. And when you actively do that, your hand is going to be at the floor. And it's the difference between like hinging to find the floor and just plopping sideways. And, and, and I think that's something that, um, is just is vital for people to, to truly understand is finding that position and it's just smoother and it creates more stability and creates more control. Cause what I've seen people do is they get into this open position and they kind of just like fall, like literally almost fall towards the ground because they don't know how to actively pull themselves via the hinge. And then, like you said, once we're there, if you need to move a few things just to, to create enough space uh, for the lower extremity to come back through, that's fine. But again, it all goes back to, if you're going to be doing get-ups and you're going to add a kettlebell into your hand, you need to nail those transitions. And the transitions are just something that um, I get it. You want to, you want that, you want that kettlebell in your hand, right? You want it in your hand and you want to do get-ups, but I'm telling you right now, if you just front load those skills and spend a little bit extra time nailing those transitions, it's when you do bring a kettlebell into the equation, you're not going to be wondering where the hell your legs are supposed to go. Yep. Um, it's key rehearse, rehearse. Um, so back at the tall sit, we've got our last couple of transitions to talk about. Um, we've got the fingers pointed behind us. Uh, we're in that tall sit position. Now we need to kind of unspin the hand, allow the elbow to bend and come back down to the elbow. Um, and what we should end up with is this nice straight line from the outside of the shoulder all the way down the arm to the elbow. The elbow should not be extended beyond the shoulder and it should not be tucked inside the shoulder. Um, again, rehearse your body weight positions um, and maintain the spine. Now you are going to, just like we pulled ourselves up to the elbow in the roll to elbow, now you're pushing yourself away. Uh, and rolling back down to the ground, but more by pushing yourself away from that elbow uh, to coordinate the roll back down to the ground. It's not a plop. It's not a shoulder shrug and flop. It's a coordinated, uh, and again, we're recreating that 45 degree position. We're pushing ourselves away uh, so that we smoothly transition back down to the ground. Um Bring, bring the other hand up, two hands, pull it down into the uh, the original, recreating the original roll to press position. Use your entire body and roll that kettlebell uh, to the side, keeping everything nice and close to the body. Um, scares me every time I see somebody flop down at the end of a getup and drop the kettlebell back behind them, letting their arm fall into external rotation. Um it's just a sloppy way to end your setup as your first rep, how you set the bell down and finish your set as your last rep. 
You're not done with the getup when you flop back down to the ground. You're done with the getup when you perform that two-hand pull to the um, floor press position and then roll that bell, use your body and control that bell to the ground. I actually, I think it's just laziness for a lot of people. They're like, I'm just about done. <laughs> like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? It, that's what happens. And, and I'll be honest, like I've done that a few times when I'm doing a bunch of get-ups where I'm just like, oh man, I just skipped that last step. But that was not a good idea and I would not recommend it. And Brett is waving his finger at me, but I'm just not, I don't lie to, <laughs> I don't lie to our millions of listeners. I don't lie to these millions of people that are coming to us for advice and authenticity, Brett. Um, there's, anywho. There's one, there's one thing you lied about there. Okay. Okay. Whatever. Uh, we, we won't talk about that. Okay. I'm, my counselor says I'm working on it. Um, anyways, let's talk about when we are reversing and we're back at that elbow and you, and you talked about it, but there's this active push where you are driving the forearm into the ground and slowly controlling your torso and the spine, the whole entire spine, more so the, the thoracic spine, um, does not stay completely rigid as you slowly control your body to the ground. It's not this fixed rigid position. Um, we want the lumbar to really stay locked in, but there is a slight, a uh, little bit of hollow that sort of happens where you do have to engage your abdominals to eccentrically lower yourself in a, a slow and controlled way. Um, one of the things that I've always uh, loved to teach my clients is uh, the hard style sit back where they can learn to get a little bit of multi-segmental flexion on the way back down and control their entire torso. And when you can do that, not only is it a fantastic core drill, but it's going to help with that last part of the getup. What was that C word you use? I, I, I'm not familiar with that one. Crunchy. Did I say crunch? <laughs> you said Crunchy? core. Oh, core. core. You said core. core I don't know. Abs. I thought you said crunch. I thought I said crunch. And I was like, I don't know. Crunch core. I, I, crunchy, crunchy core. That's the new course that we're going to put together. It's called crunchy. You said, core. you said core. Yeah. Any, so, uh, so by the way, yes. Great. Yes. By the way, have you seen a Beavis and Butthead show? In a while? Like, it was brilliant. Oh, yeah. Well, Mike Judge. I mean, say no more. I mean, the great Cornholio, it might be one of the best characters <laughs> ever. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm, um, I'm just about ready to pull my T-shirt over my head here. Give me a second. <laughs> um, anyways. Yeah. So we covered a lot. Um, anything else, Brett, that you want to talk about for the get up? Um, well, I, I think that we, we covered a ton, just real quick programming. Um, Doesn't matter. Yeah, just do whatever you want. Just do what um, feels right right now. <laughs> so the basic programming, one right, one left, three to five sets. That's it. It's between six to 10 total get-ups, uh, three to five on each side uh, it is with rest between sides and between sets the getup is a horrible exercise to accumulate fatigue during it is one of the things that makes the sinister challenge so challenging is that you are smoked from your 100 swings in five minutes and then you have to coordinate a getup it's a challenge it's not how you train every day and so you know if you're searching for fatigue within the getup, stop it. Um, use this as a way to build beautiful strength. Use that as a way to build your transitions, uh, enhance shoulder mobility, stability, midsection strength. 
um, and and don't use this as a tool for fatigue. Um, one of my favorite uh, get up variations is a get up with the presses, and I teach this to all of my students clients early on because then if they're ever unstable during a step of the get up, they can just pull it to the rack. They know how to safely stop their get up by bringing the bell to the rack. And it makes a tremendous difference. It has you pressing from a variety of angles, article on uh, strongfirst.com covering this. Uh, it has you get pressing from a variety of angles, building a really healthy, resilient shoulder. Um, and you have this safety valve built into your getup. So, but still it's, I'm not doing 20 sets of that, 30 sets of that. I'm doing three to five sets on each side Love of it. singles. Yeah. I mean, and Brett, I don't know how many articles you probably have on whether it's the strong first website, maybe at functional movement on the getup, but I'm sure there's probably at least a dozen, um, maybe more. There's a couple. There's a few. There is one. I'm going to uh, listen. If you go to the strong first and you Google, you know, do a little search for Mike Perry, there is an article that says how to program your getups and it's better than all, everything. Hey. Brett so I had to put that in because I've got like three or four articles on there. Brett's got like 150. Four. I'm just making those numbers up. Anyway, guys, six sixty three as of tomorrow. Sixty. Really? Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Well, See, I'll, uh, I'll, way, I'll, I'll send way an more... email to the big guy. Make sure you uh, have. Make sure he adds a little bit more to your plate. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, Brett, it's always been uh, it's always been fun talking shop with you. Um, you may not remember this conversation because of COVID, but I guarantee you it's pretty decent. Um, <laughs> appreciate you coming on. Um, for those of you that are looking for more resources on some uh, some kettlebell products, check out Iron Cardio. Uh, you can find that at BJJ Fanatics and Strong and Fit. That is Brett's uh, newest digital product, and it is fantastic. Um, there's also some other stuff that's going to be coming up from Brett. I don't want to spill the spill the beans here, but um, just pay attention to what Brett's been doing um, on social media. Um, and if you're looking for an instructional, check out Kettlebell Essentials. That's on the same website, uh, Strong and Fit, BJJ Fanatics. And uh, those are some just some more resources, guys. Um, you know, we, we try to put out content that is digestible, that can help you all. And if there's anything specific that uh, you want us to talk about, or maybe even get to the point where we could do a webinar or film, we will absolutely do that. Um, thank you so much. And if you could do us a huge favor, if you enjoy this podcast, could you do us a favor and uh, please submit a positive review on whatever platform that you're listening to. We appreciate you guys, and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, everybody. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.